0: Okay, so first we read the koan, and we're on case 16, and let's kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, Lori, would you read the koan for us? But you have to unmute first.
1: Case 16, the sound of the bell, the seven-piece robe. Yunmen said to his assembly of monk practitioners, the world is so vast and wide. Why do you put on your seven piece robe at the sound of the bell.
0: Okay, now we'll sit for another five minutes. Okay, um, and uh, Nancy, would you read the Koan and Woman's comment?
2: You mean Nelda?
0: Nelda, I'm sorry. Yes, Nelda. Thank you, Kim.
3: There we go. The sound of the bell, the seven-piece roll. Yunman said to his assembly among practitioners, The world is so vast and wide. Why do you put on your seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell? Woman's Comment. All who learn Chan and study the path must avoid following sound and pursuing form. Even so, awakening to the path by hearing sound or illuminating your mind by seeing form is quite ordinary. Little do you know, patch-robed monks, I'm sorry, Little do you know, patch-robed monks ride on sound and hover over form, and yet, with each circumstance, illuminating this great matter and taking up each and every wondrous opportunity. But even so, tell me, does the sound come to the ear, or does the ear reach out to the sound? Even if sound and silence are both forgotten, when you reach this point, how do you understand words, If you use your ears to hear, it will be difficult to understand. But if you listen to sound with your eyes, you will be on intimate terms with reality. If you understand, all are one and the same. If you do not understand, there are thousands of differences and distinctions. If you do not understand, all are one and the same. If you understand... There are thousands of differences and distinctions.
0: Thank you. Okay, we'll sit for five more minutes. And at the end of that five minutes, then we'll write for five minutes. Is that right? Okay, thank you. Okay, so now we'll start reading with Guogu's comment, and uh, let's go ahead and start off alphabetically. So Donna, if you would please start. Thank you. If you have been practicing for a long time but are still unclear about what Chan is or what Buddhism is, then this is the case for you. Gong'an comments are not expository explanations of how things are. If they were, it would create more problems as there would be more questions than answers. Texts such as this one are really meant for those seasoned Chan practitioners who have already established a good foundation in the teachings. The kind of problems they encounter in practice are not what ordinary people encounter. Their obstacles come from the routine regimen of rigorous, dedicated practice. Texts like this do not give or explain answers. They put an end to problems.
4: Some people who have practiced for a long time sometimes think they already know how to practice, and they become arrogant. Or in their practice during meditation, they may have had many, and sometimes powerful, experiences. But these experiences do not particularly reveal who they are or how things actually are. They are more like altered states of consciousness. Those practitioners may have seen light. They may have experienced an intuitive understanding of the scriptures, or they may have experienced some samadhi states. When they speak about the Dharma, they back their words with personal experiences. They are full of confidence. Yet, because their experience has not helped them let go of their self-attachment, without their knowing it, their self becomes more solid than before.
2: Another type of problem that arises with seasoned, long-time practitioners is that they are so familiar with the ups and downs of practice that they find a place where they can rest peacefully accepting things as they are they are deeply comfortable with where they they're at this can be a problem especially when they have not personally experienced awakening or if they have lost that urge that drive to practice for them things are just fine when bad things come they say oh it's karma when good things happen, they say, "This too shall pass." It is impermanent, so they rest in this kind of stasis. I think Lori is is uh, next, but she's muted.
1: Muted. I'm sorry. Some of you may think, since I've just begun the practice, all this teaching. Will this teaching benefit me or not? The key is not to have too many concepts when you encounter a teaching, but to see if anything jolts you, makes you wonder, or become aware of certain aspects that you were blind to before. All these challenges to resonate within you. Keep them in the back of your mind. So allow these challenges to resonate within you. Keep them in the back of your mind. Put yourself in this story in the assembly of Chan Master Yunman.
3: As with the previous case, Chan Master Yunman exercised his wisdom. He ascended the Dharma seat and basically said that the sky is so vast, so great. You have such freedom in your life where nothing binds you. Why then? Why? Why then in hell did you put on your robe when you heard the bell ring? Why do you let signals and bells govern your life? Putting this in another way, you are so free. Why do you get up when you hear the alarm ring in the morning? Why do you go to work? Why is it that you do the things you do? Why do you engage in Chan practice?
2: I like that he, he puts a priority on who are you and how are how are things in the world as opposed to enlightenment or enlightening experiences or whatever. He's a down-to-earth guy, isn't he?
1: (laughs) I like the approach
3: as well, Kim.
0: In Chan monasteries, the bell and other instruments govern the activities of the day. Before a Dharma talk, a monk strikes the temple bell. When monks hear it, they put on their robes. The five-piece robe is for novices or for fully ordained monks or nuns on ordinary occasions. The 25-piece robe is reserved for abbots to wear for special occasions. A seven-piece robe is what a fully ordained monk or nun Wears for formal occasions, such as attending a Dharma talk. So here, the bell rings and the monks put on their robes.
4: Yeah, I'm unmuted. Donna left for a moment. If you reflect on why you get up in the morning when the alarm rings, you may think that if you don't go to work, you'll get fired. Young men is not functioning at that level. Young men is not questioning your obligations or talking about the kind of freedom that allows you to do whatever you want.
2: In general, practice involves distinguishing between what are wholesome and unwholesome, beneficial and harmful, <coughs> skillful and unskillful act- activities, especially with regard to others. You must not hurt people. You must not hurt yourself. And the most obvious way to avoid suffering for yourself and others is to be careful of your reactions to form and sound. Because of your attachment, you are easily affected by what you hear and see. Therefore, the text says that all who learn Chan and study the path must avoid following sound and pursuing form. That's really a curious line, isn't it? I mean, all the way through, but
1: yeah.
2: and um, I want to say, I, maybe this is out of turn, but, but um, Joel in, in um, orientation, uh, Bill Mueller asked the question, what is Zen? And Joel did a beautiful, long, long, uh, like 40 minute talk kind of, the history of Buddhism and the Theravadin versus the Mahayana, and and it, it just seems that this is a lot um, against the Theravadin this view, like the Theravadins would would um, follow sound and would follow form and would follow bells, and also it just uh, Laurie and I have been talking about like things being out of order or in order. And, you know, in that vein, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I, why do we follow bells kind of in that? Does that make sense? Like asking that.
1: Well, I was going to say that um, we do follow the bell. We do have forms. So we're really not to the extent of We But we very much have form and follow sound.
2: Yeah, and I think, but he's asking, like, why do we do that?
1: Mm-hmm. And, yeah.
2: and, and that's really the question, not do we do it or not?
1: Yeah, I just, from what you said, it was sounding like we didn't do that.
2: Um, but, but not to do it blindly, I think. Yeah, that's what I'm getting so far.
4: What I'm hearing when you say that, what makes me think of, uh, Kim, is conditioning. Conditioning. <laughs> you know, you hear the bell, you get up and you and you and you move. And it could be conditioning or it could just could be a natural response. But the way you were talking about it made me think of that.
0: Yeah, kind of like Pav, a Pavlovian response.
4: Yeah.
1: If you're doing it blindly, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. if you're doing right. it blindly. Right. Kim, it reminds me of when
3: you asked the other day when we were talking, you said, how do we do that all all the time? And and as a as new uh, Zen Sangha member, um, I always thought that the purpose of the bell was a reminder. Not, it's not the bell, to, it was just a reminder to awake. And then to do that as you do that in the, in that moment. I love ritual. I think it's beautiful I also love that the bell's not really about the bell. At least this is my current understanding. But it, its a call to something more. So anyway, and I won't ask if I'm wrong because because I now know that <laughs> when I— Well, ask, I think
2: this is bringing up a this is bringing up a great question: is is what is the bell? What does it symbolize what does it do to us
4: yeah i i had that question too but you know i kind of like to read all the rest of the comment and see if we get any clues from okay uh, yeah. what's his name goo <laughs> go, go. <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. if you examine
1: your life you will see that when you are miserable you will see that you, that when you are miserable when you're feeling frustrated when you are anguished it's because you have heard something from someone or you have seen something you didn't want to see. You are conditioned to see things a certain way. In practice, you have to see through the veils of your condition. This is exactly what we were talking about earlier today, Kim.
0: Oops, sorry. <laughs>
1: In practice, you have to see through the bells of your conditioning, the process through which you ritually and habitually relate to those around you based on your own standard of actions and words. For example, you may see someone walking down the street, and without much self-awareness, you are already categorizing and judging that person as this or that just by the way he or she is dressed. If that person says something, your discriminating mind is already at work. Is what the person is saying beneficial or harmful to me?
2: And in uh, the Liberating Dharma course, you know, that was brought up, like what assumptions do we make when we see a person of color walk into a room? You know, to be aware of that, that we're not, that that's something we're noticing.
3: While seeing and hearing causes, uh, while seeing and hearing cause vexations, When vexations are absent, sound and form can also liberate. After getting an MA degree from the University of Kansas, I wanted to take a year off to prepare my PhD applications. I went to Boston as I wanted to attend Harvard to study with a certain professor. That was a very stressful time in my life. I had one friend in Boston with whom I moved in temporarily. I thought I would easily find a job within a week or two, then get my own place and go on with life according to my plans. I was greatly mistaken. There were no jobs in Boston for someone like me with an MA degree in religion. It took me a whole month to find work. As I didn't want to take advantage of my friend, I finally took the first job I could find. That is a doorman and moved out it was a low paying job i had to wear the required blue polyester suit and stand on the ground floor of a large corporate building filled with new graduates with mba degrees my job was to check their identification cards can i see your id please okay you can go in no id sorry you can't go in it was interesting how people treated me there
0: Not one of my doorman co-workers ever went to college. I'm not even sure if they all had high school degrees. They were minorities, either black or Hispanic. As the only Asian person at that place, I stood out like a sore thumb. It was especially odd. To me, when Asians with MBA degrees were obviously trying very hard to avoid acknowledging me as one of their own as they went in and out of the corporate building. During this time, I was preparing for my GRE test for the PhD application. In one pocket, I had a list of GRE words, and in the other, math equations. So between one May I see your ID, please? And the next, I was memorizing words or math formulas to prepare for my test. Most people ignored me. Some looked down on me. It felt rather strange to be looked down upon and alienated by people who were seemingly categorizing me into a certain stereotype. What I saw and what I heard were wearing me down.
2: You know, sometimes when we read this, I wonder, so what does this have to do with the koan, like the last paragraph?
1: We'll you, see. <laughs> yeah, <You>? we'll see. <laughs> Okay.
4: I learned a lot of slang <laughs> during that time. One particular phrase I heard a lot from my doorman colleagues was, yo, man, it's all good. It's all good. I call it I-A-G. One time, several young professional men and women were walking by me as I said my routine, may I see your ID please? They stopped chatting, showed me their IDs, then broke into laughter and walked away. In that moment, I overheard two fellow doormen talking and one saying, it's all good. Suddenly, everything dropped away. I said out loud, I-A-G, it's all good. How wonderful. The
0: humiliation was good practice. So I want to say something real quick about that. I. That word humiliation is a trigger for me. And, and so what I'm wondering, though, in Go's comment as he's talking. Did he feel humiliated or were people actually trying to humiliate him? Because there's a difference. And anyway, that just seemed like a, a question to me around this about practice. I'm not sure humiliation is a good practice. But I don't know.
2: Well, there's a part of humiliation where it makes you humble. And, and that's what I think he's... he's. I, he, I don't he's know.
0: Maybe I'm... Yeah, maybe it's semantics. To me, humiliation—it
2: it has a bad connotation—but I think he <laughs> yes. means it in a good way. Okay, there's also a benefit to it.
0: Okay.
4: Yeah, I—I I think in this instant, I'm getting that he was triggered by the laughter and felt they were laughing at him, and he felt humiliated. And yet, uh, when he heard his coworkers in the background saying it's all good, it just suddenly snapped him out of um, taking that as a
0: yeah the,
4: the criticism so that's kind of what i'm getting from the from the story he you rose kind of, beyond it
0: yeah that's kind of what i thought too gail it just seemed odd to me that being humiliated was a way to be enlightened but again i re- i recognize that i'm looking at this from a very american a very western standpoint and i've seen through the other 15 um koans that chan teachings are often humiliating
2: and you know that thing if you want to find a teacher find the person who gives you the most trouble well <laughs> those those guys who are kind of giving him trouble were taught him something
0: okay
4: well, it certainly shows where you're attached and uh in this story he's really quite well educated guy right. Right. You know, who can't find a job and is working in a position that just doesn't reflect the kind of, uh, you know, in his view and maybe other people's views, the kind of job he should have. And, right
1: below his skills, that's for sure.
4: <laughs> right, right. So, but in other words, he'd uh, you know, almost taken on, uh, this has to do with identification. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm a guy who shouldn't be doing this. And uh people don't know that and they're now they're making fun of me. And um, you know, it, it it's like the humiliation basically and then the snapping out of it showed him where he was attaching to an identity of, right. um, you know, and I shouldn't be having this happen.
3: I read I read the same thing, Gail, because he couples the last part of this paragraph with the fact that he had been carrying words and mathematical phrases, I mean, mathematical equations in his pocket for his test. And I thought, ah, you're very connected with that construct, right? Of look how smart I am and how much I know and how I'm going to pass this test. So I read that humiliation was good practice as a self imposed reaction.
0: Interesting. Well, thank you guys. Thank you.
3: Because he took it
1: personal. It was a he's taking it personally. Right. People's mis misidentifying was he was taking that as a personal
4: front and it's not because they don't know. (laughs) It's not personal. Right. It's not who he is ultimately. That's (laughs) if we want to get really into the (laughs) into the larger truth, you know,
0: that's funny. Okay. Uh, Kim, is No, you?
2: No. Uh, wh- what is form? What is sound? When you encounter a difficulty in your life, an impasse, solve it. If you can't solve it, it's good. If you can't solve it, it's still good. Oh, if you can solve it, it's good. If you can't solve it, it's still good. As it's no longer your problem if you can't solve it it's only a problem when you solve it so when, when you encounter challenges in life when you are obstructed by form and sound it's all good
1: i'm gonna have to read that one again
2: <laughs> well we we, we we could we could read maybe the next person could just read that one again
1: that's me what is form what is form what is sound When you encounter a difficulty in your life, an impasse, solve it. If you can solve it, it's good. If you can't solve it, it's still good, as it's no longer your problem if you can't solve it. It's only a problem when you solve it. (laughs) So when you encounter challenges in life, when you are obstructed by form and sound, it's all good.
3: Well, it goes back in some ways to that the Serenity Prayer. You know, it's like change the things I can, yeah. let go of the things I can't. The wisdom to know the difference. So, if if it's yeah. something you can change, it's good. If you can't change it, it's good because you have no control. You can't change it, and <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> And that's
1: exactly Nilda, what
4: Nilda, I think you have something there. I've yeah. never thought of the serenity prayer like that, but you're <laughs> absolutely right. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. um, in your own dream of vexations and obstacles, you are already so busy. Why are you busying yourself living in somebody else's projected dream of you? People looked down on me in my silly polyester suit repeating the same words over and over. They formulated an image of me, but that image was their image. What did it have to do with me? If you feel sad, humiliated, you are affected. If you ignore it, pretend it's not there, you are also affected. Reacting to a dream is an illusion, yet the sky is so vast and wide. Why aren't you free?
0: In the beginning of your practice, you have to figure out, examine within yourself, just how much you live in dreams and all the projections that you have on the world through your interaction of sound and form. Avoid fabricating form and sound. This doesn't mean that you move into the mountains and isolate yourself from the world. No, you live amid form and sound, and through them you see freedom. True practice is to ride on sound and hover over form. And yet with each circumstance illuminating this great matter and taking up each and every wondrous opportunity, it's all good. And if you discover that somehow it's not all good, then you need to examine form and sound a little closer because they are a mirror reflecting your true nature. The greater the obstacle, the clearer the reflection. Wu Min provides a hint. Does the sound come to the ear or does the ear reach out to the sound? Even if sound and silence are both forgotten, when you reach this point, how do you understand words? Some seasoned practitioners say that sound and form are okay. They don't bother me. Wu Min says that when you have reached this point, you must still manifest form and sound. Tell me, what is this realization?
4: Forgetting. It's me again. I got a <coughs> I got an email recently from someone who has been practicing for many years. She'd had the opportunity that summer to do a long retreat, a couple of months by herself somewhere in the mountains. She wrote me a very beautiful email describing her experiences as utter tranquility. What was there but the sound of the birds in that cabin, the Amish people rolling by in their horse cart and her meditation? It was a very beautiful, peaceful time, she said, with no vexations, no projections, or categorization, no compartmentalizations. I wrote to her briefly. What did you realize?
2: She wrote back, silence. Then she included a short poem by Zen master Ryokan 1758-1831, from a book she was probably reading. I guess in her mind, the poem expressed her realization. So here, read this, was how she presented (coughs) her realization to me. I didn't respond. At that point, I knew she was not ready for any teaching because she was quite satisfied with what she had found. Anything I might have said either would have offended her or might not have been very useful. Had she said, "I'd like, I'd like to come see you," then things would have been different.
1: When woman, suggests, if you have found silence and peace, are you free in noise and chaos? It's not saying when you reach silence, then there's just silence. No, when you reach true peace, true true peace, you should be free at ease in sound and form. True practitioners ride the wave of sound and freely intermingle
3: with form. Mm -hmm. Last month, a student said to me, I really can't work well in meditation. I really don't get it. I have a lot of wandering thoughts. Is that bad? Suppose that person had said, You know, Gugu, Your method really works. I just experienced total silence. Meditation is peace. I'm so glad
0: I found this place. Is that good? For busy modern people, peace is good. Very seldom do you have peace. Perhaps when you're on vacation, away from administrative work, away from this and that, you can have peace. Tasting candy only once in a while makes it just that much sweeter. Parents reward kids with candy. They know candy is bad for their teeth, but once in a while, it's okay. If you don't allow them any, then you're too strict. If you give them candy all the time, you're not a good parent. Similarly, if one is not a skillful teacher, then the student gets offended, especially after a couple of months of experience with silence. If you challenge your students' personal experience, they start questioning anything you say.
4: Wilman well, says, if you use your ears to hear, it will be difficult to understand. But if you listen to sound with your eyes, you will be on intimate terms with reality. Some of you may be wondering, I don't think we covered this topic in biology. How can one hear with eyes and see with ears? (laughs) There are insects, animals, and different types of fish that don't have eyeballs, yet know when a big hungry predator is coming their way. There are blind people who see people better than those who can see. The passage is not talking about supernatural powers. It is questioning you, asking if you are bound by your senses.
2: Woolman's verse is even more puzzling. If you understand, all are one and the same. If you do not understand, there are thousands of differences and distinctions. If you do not understand, all are one and the same. If you understand, there are thousands of differences and distinctions.
1: Usually, if one does not understand the form or sound one perceives, one is probably stuck in the distinctions, discriminations, or differences in ideas and notions. If one does understand, then the form and sound probably conform to one's own preconceived ideas. However, Lumen, being a compassionate teacher, says that whether you understand or not, there are different forms and sounds everywhere. Whether you understand or not, everything is also just the same. What is the same? What is difference? Do these words, same, different, define what you see and what you hear? Are you bound by the categories you create? Forms and sounds are not the issue. Being bound by them is It cannot get any simpler than that.
3: The important point is that you have your own understanding and experience, but there is more. This Gong Ang is asking you, despite your understanding and experience of things, why is it that when you see something beautiful, you are enamored? When you see someone you love die, why is it that you feel sorrow? Why is it that when you hear a pleasant sound like praise, you respond in a certain way? Why is it that when someone calls your name, you feel, you names, you feel uncomfortable? Are your emotional responses predictable? Do you respond to form and
0: sound in a patterned way?
3: Where is your freedom?
0: I'm amazed by all who practice week after week, year after year, despite the physical discomfort, wondering thoughts, and drowsiness. I'm not saying that you should not practice. Of course, you should. You have to discern what motivates you to seek out a spiritual path to practice. Are you bound by form and sound? I'll
4: just, um, just call on. Is, is making me think of um, well the Heart Sutra really form is emptiness and emptiness is form you know that was that was coming to mind for me but also uh, in the um, in the in the practice you know uh, what is it uh, you know the, the, what we always I'm drawing a blank now we always say um, life as it is the only teacher. Yeah. being just this moment's compassion's way.
1: Four practice principles.
4: The four practice principles. And I, what I'm really, you know, getting from his commentary is that absolutely everything, whether it's a good thing that we've identified as, I mean, have decided or judged it to be, or a bad thing, is really in the service to our waking up. So you know, it it doesn't it, it doesn't matter, um you know, back here when he was talking about, um, if you if you judge something to be good or bad, if your conditioning judges something to be good or bad, it's all in the service of your awakening. And um, I, so I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm getting I'm getting that. Um, you know, that's why when his um, one of his um, disciples or friends, you know, went to that Amish countryside and. Uh, experienced nothing but silence. And then she, you know, was having a wonderful experience. Um, But of course, there was nothing really uh, challenging her, you know, there. And he wasn't saying that she shouldn't have lovely experiences. But that isn't always what drives our awakening in some odd way. Um, You know, so it's all good. (laughs) IAG, <laughs> you know, he keeps saying that, you know, all the way, all the way through. Um, yeah, the greater the obstacle, the clearer the reflection. He he says that. Mm-hmm. If if you discover that somehow it's not all good, then you need to examine form and sound a little closer because they are a mirror reflecting your true nature. Yeah. You know, so if somebody says something to trigger me or I decide that some situation shouldn't be happening because I'm feeling frightened about it or upset about it or mad about it, um, this is this is where um it's mirroring back to us where we're clinging to identity again, which seems to be the root of all all the suffering really. You know. Yeah. 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 It's kind of cool. Anyway, those were some things I was I was uh, thinking about. Um, yeah,
1: I'm glad we read this tonight. Why? Well, because I think I well I've been doing this and so <laughs> finding out it's been ref- a lot of reflection coming back what I'm attached
4: to. <laughs> That's true, you know, experience, but, (laughs) but it's a good thing. It's all good, right? Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is. And you know, what's funny is I've talked about this before, but I had one instant where I was, um, it was after a retreat and I was triggered in the couple of days later, but I was feeling I was in a place that felt very clear and very quiet. And then I got attacked verbally Mm -hmm. you know, by a family member. And in that attack, I absolutely had zero reactivity to it.
0: Mm -hmm. And
4: the one thing that came in my head was, this isn't about me. Yeah. And it was just totally, and I remember I mentioned it before, but I told Peg about it later. And she said, oh, in that instant, your um, egoic self was was not there. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: And it wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> it, it it was like I was just this clear space for it to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, so it didn't escalate. And then I think about Flint. You know, he says it's not that we should be free from suffering; it's that we're free within suffering. Yeah, you know. Um,
3: yeah, you know, I want to share something that just you know I know this was about reactivity and the parts of our egoic self we hang on to and and what I'm about to say isn't separate for that but what really res- resounded with me was his last sentence you have to discern what motivates you to seek out a spiritual path to practice and so we keep talking about awakening you know awakening you know we want to awaken But the bigger question for me, and this just brought it home, that last part is, why do I want to awaken? How much of that is a goic self? And that's really, for me, the question. How much of my desire to awaken is a goic self? Because I think from where I'm sitting and as it's resonating in my body and mind right now that, and I'll, and I'll let it. I'll let it move, keep moving. Is that really will answer so many questions to my practice. So many.
4: Yeah. Do you do you just want to feel good? Is that why we want to awaken? Because we
3: although, want to feel although good. That time? Is, <laughs> although that is an offspring of practice, right? That's but that's no, that's I guess yeah. not. Well my heart is. But I've it'd gotta be, I've gotta really look at that. I've it'd be really enough.
2: Look. It'd be enough for me if, if I could, you know, honestly say it's all good no matter what was going on.
4: <laughs> yeah. But before he said it's all good, it didn't feel good. It was the it's all good that his co worker said that triggered him into seeing how he was clinging to his suffering you know so he wouldn't have had that realization if he'd just been thinking it's all good all good all good all day long he had to be triggered first
0: right when he first was saying it, it was almost like it was just trite you know it was just a trite saying but then when he got triggered and he heard them saying it he realized it really is all good
3: and I love the irony that's built into the contrast between his workers who had so much less in terms of mm. education and and advantages in a a, um, a world that's mostly people not of color. And they, it was all good with them. They were able to let that go. And here he had all of these advantages of privilege, and it wasn't all good. And so I just found that really ironic
2: so they were his teachers
3: they were his teachers
4: yeah i one thing that um you know i've really discovered is that uh, the biggest challenges for me are also the the um also can be opportunities for the most clarity for me you know to come through eventually and And so I'm not judging anymore all the horrible things that ever happened to me, you know, and and clinging to me. It's all for me. It's all for, I think it's all in service of this evolving realization and awakening. I think everything is, I don't care what it is.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's true for you, Gail, but for me, I feel like that the reason that is is because when those difficulties happen, that's when I sit up and take notice. Now, I'm trying to practice more and more this past couple of years, and especially, I think, since um, the pandemic, with noticing, sitting up and taking notice of all the good stuff, the ordinary, but still the beautiful which is why I get so taken by photographs and using my camera. I want to notice that and let me, and have it start questioning, you know, and start just paying attention as much as it does when there's a challenge. And I'm like purposely and intentionally looking. Does that make sense?
4: yeah because uh, sometimes you can go the opposite in the opposite ditch and be mm-hmm. uh, too hanging on too much to the uh, suffering and the challenges and, right you know and, and this is hard work and and then um, noticing right. that also um, there's this underlying beauty everywhere right you know, right
0: gratitude mm-hmm. Well, does anybody else have anything, or should we close down this
2: Just, evening? I I, this was really a beautiful one, and also a surprising one. And, and you know, I, we kind of think, initially at least, that the whole, this whole business is to be bound by form and sound and to follow the rules. And so it's a great reminder and, and also a question, what's, what's freedom?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and can we have and what, within those rules and, and forms you know
1: freedom within suffering again right?
0: yeah
2: I haven't heard um, him say that and I have to think about that
0: yeah. yeah yeah you never heard Flint say that I
2: oh don't my remember. god
0: I think he said it many times during inquiry because so often that's when people would come up with something <laughs> they were suffering with.
2: So what does that mean to you, freedom within suffering?
4: It means that you're not trying to get rid of, push away, um, exile all the challenges and all the suffering. It means even if they're there, you can experience a certain amount of um, freedom if you know the
2: truth of what you really are and what, you know, it's freedom and in, in, in terms of the choices you can make. Right. Yeah. Well, so I've f- heard that.
0: But, but freedom also in the way you feel in that moment. Sure. You know, and I think again, Jenny Prenitz is a good example of that.
2: She's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Nelda ever met her no uh, but but she died before you came around or or quit coming at least before you came around, yeah, and then died soon after that, and she was yeah. she had just a, a wonderful attitude, so I think that's
0: it's been almost two story. years It'll be two years next month, won't it two years in january
2: Is it? I, I
4: think so she wasn't identifying herself as a a victim of cancer right so it's like we the way we suffer is that we cling on to whatever the challenge is and make a big story about it and then immerse ourselves in it and then obsess about it and then it goes on and on and on so that's that's the real suffering not the fact that you've got cancer or so
0: i think yeah i just thought of somebody else in our songs like that rick Oh, Rick is yeah. like that. And Joan,
1: uh, when she had cancer. And
0: Joan, when Joan had cancer. John was. I, I think about just how happy both of those people are, you know?
2: So there's there's a, a I don't know if I've mentioned this to any of you, but there's a, at UCLA or USC, they're doing, they have an institute to study happiness.
0: Yes. And, yes.
2: And did we hear this? And the question was, who's happier after a year, someone who wins the lottery or someone who uh, who uh, becomes a paraplegic, and it's the same after yeah. a year. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we've seen that with the people, with many people who get very ill, like with cancer.
0: That right.
2: They say, oh, this is the best thing that ever happened to me.
0: Mm. Yeah, Yeah.
4: everything is in serve. If we only could open our eyes, we would see that absolutely everything is in the service of our awakening. If we, if we had that outlook on it, then we wouldn't be so resistant to things when they didn't work out, you know, um, at least I think so. Uh, that's really yeah. helped me a lot. Um, it's not like, why is this happening to poor me? It's sort mm-hmm. of like, oh, that's interesting. What am I to learn from this? Hmm you know kind of
2: but but you sure get in trouble if you say that to someone who is suffering
4: yeah Yeah, it doesn't have to feel it doesn't have to feel good (laughs) well i always remember peg oh my god you know um you know i would listen to her when somebody came into the zendo and they'd had like a Somebody came in and said, you know, that they had a terrible morning or they ran into traffic or they had an accident on the way or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, you're supposed to be chill about this because that's what Zen is, you know. And Peg would say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Oh, my gosh, that's terrible. You know, and she'd give this sympathy. And that's when I began to see. It's not that we don't have sympathy and compassion. It's just that we don't add to the person's. Story of being a victim. I don't know if that makes They'll any. do contribute. Sense. Yes.
1: Contribute to their their delusion.
4: Right. That's the way I heard it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Hey. He talked about the the person who had written him, and they they weren't ready for anything more than you know. So that death. person might just not be ready for anything more than than someone saying oh that's too bad that happened to you
4: well she was saying that her real is you know when he asked her what she would realized in this very peaceful place she said silence and then you know quoted a poem so she, she was basically equating realization with being peaceful <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> that's what i got mm-hmm. you know this is, this is what being realized is is this complete silence nothing bothering you you know and right. i don't think that that's entirely the truth right uh, you know at least that's what i got
0: from that part yeah no i think you're right
2: but i think the all these meditation centers that's what they kind of um promise
3: mm-hmm.
2: that's the goods
3: i want to share something about peg in the midst of suffering and and her compassion and and I, and I said this to her in the past, you know, few weeks. I told her, you know, Peg, I was terrified of you. Absolutely terrified of you. So when we would have um, practice on Sundays, I rarely took the opportunity to go in and talk with you. Um, and she was so sweet. She chuckles. She says, yeah, that was your story. <laughs> and I said, yes, it was. Because I figured, I thought you knew everything and I, you know, didn't know, even know what to ask. And so, and I said, and it all changed when one of my good friends died this year, actually, right, right before the pandemic hit the U.S. And I remember she died on a Saturday night and I, I was committed to form, to going and practicing on Sunday. So I went and I was having such a hard time holding back my tears just but I thought a good Zen practitioner would just not be very chill and you know it's part of life and and I and I and I wasn't doing that well and so I decided well I'll just bite the bullet and I'll go face the dragon right sort of my <laughs> sort of my construct of, of peg thinking out this I'll listen to what she has to say and so I I went in and I I kind of told her not the dragon part but this whole basic i'm trying to be so zen peg i just can't hold it all in and she said she's she was so compassionate said in her sweet peg voice well, you're grieving you're grieving grieve how you loved her grieve and it everything in my relationship with this practice and with peg changed that day and i'm so grateful
2: And that's the freedom within suffering isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? Are we okay.
0: okay. We will see everybody next week. Alrighty. Have a wonderful Alrighty, week everybody. Thank Thanks. you so much everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
2: Thanks for leading.
0: Oh, thank you, Kim.
4: Good job, Stephanie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
3: <laughs> bye, Donna. Oh, she left.
2: Well, you're left to, to for next week. <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> I'll do I'll be ready. <laughs>
2: okay, great.
3: All right, bye.
2: Bye.